Let's go ahead and dive into our series today. We are continuing through uh, the Gospel of Mark. We are on week 16. Wow. I don't think I've ever preached a series this long before. I think this is a record for Pastor Steve. So, uh, so And we're in chapter 3. So uh, if that tells you anything, there's only 13 more chapters to go. Uh, <laughs> so... This week, as I was preparing the message, uh, this is one of those times, this is one of those times, you know, there's just certain passages of Scripture that you kind of, you know, as pastors, of course, you wouldn't know this unless you're a pastor, uh, there are some passages of Scripture that sometimes we just kind of, uh, we kind of steer around at times, you know, you know, we're like, oh, I'm going to put that one off and preach it at a later date, and then a later date gets later and later and later and later. Um, this is a passage of scripture that I hear often a lot of conversation about over times at different times, uh, but it's something that um, it's been a while since I've preached on this subject. I've preached on this passage, and, and this is the passage from uh, chapter three, verse twenty uh, through thirty, and, and it's the passage that talks about uh, what. Uh, we often refer to as the unpardonable sin. And so uh, we're going to dive into this a little bit today. Uh, but as I begin this, uh, has anyone ever accused you of being out of your mind? <laughs> I, I, I've been accused that on more than one occasion, you know. Um, as I was looking at this passage, you know, there's really a couple accusations that, get, that, get, that take place in this passage of Scripture. The first one is an, an accusation of being out of one's mind. Uh, and and the, second, the second question is a little bit more, a little bit more dangerous, in my opinion. But um, how about demon-possessed? Anybody ever accused you of being demon-possessed? I mean, yeah, you know. If you've been accused of either one of these two things, um, take heart, because uh, Jesus received the same accusations in this passage of Scripture today. Um, Jesus, as we begin this passage, believed or states that Jesus is out of his mind. I mean, Mark starts... Uh, this story, and I'm going to read the last two verses of last week, he starts by describing yet another crowd scene, okay? As we have been traveling through the Gospel of Mark, uh, this will now be the third scene that we see. And in verse 20 it says, Jesus entered a house and the crowd gathered again so that there was not even, they weren't even able to eat, Okay? And so, like I said, this is the third reference to Jesus being at a home or in a house, uh, and the progress or the pressing in of a crowd. Uh, back in chapter 1, verse 33, if you'll remember, uh, it said the whole town gathered at the doors. In chapter 2, verse 2, uh, it said so many gathered there that there was no room left, not even outside the door. Uh, there were so many had gathered that Jesus and his disciples uh, could not even eat. In reality, what it's saying there is that they could not get to the refrigerator, you know. I mean, if you can imagine that, our house, we have a galley kitchen and I don't know what you, I don't know if you, really, you know what a galley kitchen is? I describe a galley kitchen by I can touch one side of the kitchen with one hand and the other side of the kitchen with the other hand, okay? And uh, during Channy's graduation, when all of the family and everybody was coming in, uh, I came close to experiencing this a couple times because there were so many people in our house that I could not get to the refrigerator. And it was very stressful for me. Because I like the refrigerator, you know. But Jesus' family, in this passage of Scripture, uh, they're concerned about the situation, okay? But instead of, instead of his family, what's interesting in this, they're concerned because yet again we're here and there's a bunch of people around Jesus, crowds pressing in, and they're concerned. But what's interesting here is instead of attributing uh, the problem to the craziness of the crowd, 
It's Jesus that they're alarmed with. In verse 21, it says, when his family heard this, they set out to restrain him because they said he's out of his mind. Now, in my opinion, we have to be very careful here speculating over uh, Jesus' family relations. In other words, uh, what I'm saying is that there's very little that we really know uh, about Jesus and his interaction with his family. We know uh, very little outside of this statement, and then in chapter 6 later on, you're going to hear a little bit about Jesus' hometown neighbors uh, referring to his mother and his siblings. And so in chapter 6, we, we, we get the idea or the understanding that Jesus had some brothers, he had some sisters, uh, but, but outside of that, there are no other references to Jesus' family by Mark. Now, if you travel outside of the Gospel of Mark, uh, John comments in his Gospel in chapter uh, 7, verse 5, that Jesus' brothers, they did not believe him, okay? And it would seem from this episode uh, that Mark indicates the same here, okay? Uh, they, they make the comment that he's out of his mind, but... but Again, we're not sure who he's actually talking about, who the family uh, is that he's talking about. You know, uh, We can't be sure uh, that they were talking about Mary, his mother, or not. I mean, is she in agreement with her brother's assessment, with her son's assessment? Is she still treasuring in her heart uh, what the supernatural affirmations of who her son is? We don't know, all right? Maybe she's like in this whole John the Baptist stage, you know, a little confused by her expectations and Jesus' actual behavior, you know. Uh, did Jesus, we don't, we don't you know, I, of course my brain, you know, I, I'm ADD, I go all over the place, you know. I'm thinking, did Jesus cause a rift growing up in the family, you know. I mean, clearly Jesus would have been different somehow from all of the other children. I mean, can you imagine his brothers and sisters, you know? I mean, think about it, you know. You know, think about his brothers and sisters. Why can't you walk on water like Jesus, you know? You know, why can't you be good all the time like Jesus? Jesus never causes us any problem. Why can't you be like Jesus, you know? I mean, I don't know. You know, I would have hated to be Jesus' brother, you know? But what we find here in this passage is for whatever reason, maybe uh, the pressures of crowd management, maybe, I don't know, whatever it is, but, but his family is worrying about him. Maybe they've heard some of the claims that have been made about him, and it's alarmed them, uh, you know, uh, you know, they're thinking about the fact that, you know, he, he, he has the authority, you know, to forgive sins. Uh, he calls himself Lord of the Sabbath, you know. He's, he's touching lepers, you know. I mean, as the family, what we're seeing in this passage of Scripture is for whatever reason, the family is alarmed by Jesus. And that's one thing that happens here. But I want to go to the next part. And, and, and again, we don't, we don't know for certain. But I want to go to the next part because then we travel from that into the next section of this passage. And the next scene, you know, you can laugh a little bit about, you know, well, you know, uh, maybe his brothers are kind of, you know, upset because, you know, Jesus is always perfect and they're not, you know. And, and, and you know, maybe, maybe, you know, maybe his sisters, they have a hard time getting a date because they're like, uh, dude, her brother's Jesus, you know. I'm not going out with her, you know. But then we get to the next part of this passage, and it starts to get very serious. It's not anything to smile about at all, because out of his mind seems to be spoken out of concern. But the next remark in this passage of Scripture is spoken out of what I would consider to be malice. In verse 22, it says, The scribes who had come down from Jerusalem said he is possessed by Beelzebul, and he drives out demons by the ruler of the demons. 
Now, for me, as I was preparing this message, this is a disturbing statement for three reasons. Basically because, number one, who's saying it? Number two, whom they are saying it to? And then finally, because of who it is about. I mean, let's just be straight here. Mark tells us that, that they are the teachers of the law. It says the scribes, okay? They're the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem. And if you're reading from versions other than what translation I put up there today, the term scribe or the term uh, 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 leaders, uh, whatever, okay, I want, you to, I want you to understand who these guys are that are saying this, okay? They are the authoritative teachers of the law. They are the preachers and the seminary professors who have studied the scriptures, who studied the commentaries. They are the most qualified to interpret whether a person's actions or teachings are in accord with God's word, with the scripture. And so Mark implies here that a delegation of these authorities have been sent from Jerusalem, the capital city of Jewish orthodoxy and authority, to examine Jesus' ministry and to render a judgment. This is, now, let me just say something. This is not unusual for this to happen, okay? In the early church, in the early church, uh, in the Acts 2 church, uh, this took place quite a bit, okay? Christians had taken the gospel to Antioch, and they had established a Gentile church, and, and the Jerusalem church sent Barnabas uh, to check out this new development. In Acts chapter 11, we see where he reports what he saw as evidence of the grace of God going on. So sending a group of people... Sending, sending the leaders to go check out on things. That's not abnormal, but that's not how the teachers of the law regard Jesus' ministry in this passage of Scripture, specifically his ability to drive out demons. They pronounce in this passage that he is possessed by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, and that he was empowered by this prince of demons to cast out demons. That is a, I, I, I want you to grab a hold of that. That's a serious charge. Okay, that is a serious challenge, perhaps the most serious challenge that we see in all of Scripture. And it is all the more serious because it is made by those who are trained and authorized to render such a judgment. These are not just some wise guys shooting off their mouths. What they say, you see, these guys that are speaking against Jesus in the culture, in the religious culture of that day, in the Jewish culture, what they say becomes authority. What they say becomes accepted. Now, whom do they say it to? Mark does not explicitly say who they're talking to, uh, but the context makes it clear that this is a public pronouncement. In other words, in public, they are saying in front of the crowds, no doubt their intent is to turn the crowd away from Jesus, if not against him, but they are standing in front of this crowd, and they are proclaiming, they are stating that Jesus is working for the devil. And this crowd, by the way, is composed of the Jewish people, the people from whom the Messiah had come. Do you see what's happening here? The very leaders of God's people are trying to turn them against their Messiah. And that's the main point. 
They are speaking against the Messiah. They are speaking against Jesus Christ in this passage of Scripture. If there ever was a purpose for which they have been placed in their position, for which they have trained all their lives, it is to prepare the people for the coming of the Messiah and then declare his arrival when he comes, and they are doing the exact opposite. What has been denied to all the great prophets and holy saints of Israel is now being given to them the wondrous privilege to welcome the Messiah and point him out uh, uh, to God's covenant people. The Messiah stands before them. They have heard him preach. They have seen him heal. They have watched him drive out demons, the enemies of God, and they tell God's people that he is one of those wicked unholy enemies where did they get that from you see it's one thing to claim jesus is delusional it's another to accuse him of being demonic they have not crossed this line until now and they evidently made the same claim about John the Baptist. If you go back to Matthew chapter 11, verse 18, Jesus says, For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. This seems to be their conclusion for anyone or anything that opposes what they think is right. Jesus and John did not fit in with their theology. Therefore, he must be Satan. You see, Jesus shows tremendous self-control and he responds with reason rather than his own accusations. As we go on in this passage of Scripture, we look at verse 23 through 27 and go ahead and put that. It says, so he summoned them and he spoke to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against this house, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand but is finished. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man. Then he can plunder his house. Listen to yourselves is what Jesus is saying. You concede that I am driving out demons. I am restoring the covenant children of God to their peaceful state and ridding them of their wicked spirits. If I were Satan, why would I do that? I would be working against the very kingdom that I supposedly represent. And if my powers come from the prince of demons, why would he empower me to oppose his demons? You see, empowering me and setting me loose to work against him means defeat. This is what Jesus is saying to them. And speaking of Satan defeated, who is proving himself to be stronger? My power cannot be denied. I have proven myself to be greater than Satan, my kingdom more powerful than his. That is how I am able to rob him of his captive souls. You see, the question we have to ask here is what's going on? I mean, were the teachers of the law here who were trained in debate that dumb? I mean, were they that stupid to set themselves up? Am I supposed to say stupid in the church? I don't know. But these guys are dumb. Are they that dumb to set themselves up with an obvious answer? I mean, was Jesus naive in understanding their com comments? I don't think so. I mean, obviously, they were accusing Jesus of being deceptive, only pretending to work against the devil. 
Satan, after all, is the father of lies and can work with what seems to be good miracles in order to lead God's people astray. I mean, did Jesus not realize that? He did. (laughs) But there's one thing that Jesus never did care much to do here. Jesus is not in the business of proving himself. You see, a couple of times in the gospel, he refers to his miracles as evidence that he could be believed, but usually what he does is he leaves his claims to stand for the taking or the rejecting. And how would he have refuted the teachers? You see, he has produced the acceptable signs that he is from God. He has healed people. He is casting out demons, and they have turned things against him. You see, what we have here is not a failure to communicate, but it is a failure to accept the truth. And let me just tell you, there are some that you will come in contact with in life. And until they have surrendered, until they have let loose, no matter what you tell them, no matter how you explain it to them, no matter how logical, no matter how foolproof you are, they're not going to accept it. It's not a failure of communication. It is a failure of accepting the truth and what we see happening here in this passage of scripture is that these guys are failing to accept the truth that jesus christ is lord and savior amen and it's a serious failure verse 28 through 30 goes on and says truly i tell you people will be forgiven for all sins And whatever blasphemies they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin because they were saying he has an unclean spirit. You see, what Jesus is saying to them right here is he's saying, be careful of what you're doing. It's one thing to have doubts about who I am, but you are attributing what is the work of God's Holy Spirit to the spirit of Satan. It is one thing for ignorant people to mistake the activity of God's Spirit for something else, but you are the teachers of God's People, you are the ones most knowledgeable of God's way, and here you are labeling the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in me as the indwelling of Satan. This is a dangerous passage of Scripture, folks, because you see, it's one thing if I have taught heresy or acted wickedly, but I have taught about, Jesus is telling him, I have taught about the kingdom of God. I have lived a life of piety and compassion. What miracles I have done have been done to heal and cleanse and make whole. These men are supposedly speaking for God. They are the authorities who decide what is orthodox and what is heresy. Some ways I wish I I had every pastor in North America sitting in front of me right now listening to this because I think this is a, a very important challenge for us who are proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, who are standing up and claiming to be called by God. These men supposedly are speaking for God. They are the authorities who decide what is orthodox and what is heresy. And they brand Jesus not merely as heretical, but they call him in this passage of Scripture, demonic. And they persist in doing this in the face of the truth he preaches and gives clear evidence of. Reminds me as we go back to Isaiah chapter 11. 
verses 1 through 3, it says, A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. I'm, I'm reading this because these religious leaders, they knew. They knew the prophecies. They knew the text. They knew Isaiah very well. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse from his root. A branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The spirit of counsel and of power. The spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. You see, the teachers of the law, they should have been proclaiming to the people, here is the one of whom Isaiah prophesied. The Spirit of the Lord has rested upon him. And instead, they say that the Spirit has rested upon him. It is of Satan. Folks, this is a passage of Scripture that we need to be very careful of today. And so as I'm reading all of this, and I'm just kind of breaking this down, and, and really what I'm doing right now is just kind of laying out the passage of Scripture so that you know it clearly and you understand what's going on. The, the question for us today sitting here in this room is how do we take this passage of Scripture, how does this passage apply to our life? In other words, what does this passage say to us? What lessons can we learn from this today? So let's talk about this for a second. Let's talk about the problem of the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. How many of you have heard that at some point in your life? How many of you have heard, you know, the unpardonable sin is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? Anybody here? Yeah. How many of you have walked around half your life afraid of it? You're like, oh, no. Yeah, yeah. I know I have, all right? Just what is it, Okay. We want to make sure we don't commit it, right? Nobody here wants it. Nobody wants to be guilty of this, right? Yeah? Can I tell you something today? And I hope that this alleviates some stress from you just a little bit, all right? And I'm going to tell you right now, as, as you interpret this passage of Scripture and as you look at the, the commentaries and you read the theology and you read all, man, this is a passage of Scripture that is under so much scrutiny and so much debate, it's unreal. I mean, the amount of information out on this passage of Scripture is just unbelievable, okay? But here's what I want to tell you first this morning. I want you to hear this. If you have truly accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you have become a disciple of Jesus Christ, you have received, the Scripture says you have received at salvation when you accept Christ, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. If you have repented, believed, and you are following, you are striving to live as a follower of Jesus Christ, that does not mean you're perfect, Okay? It doesn't mean you get everything right all the time. Sometimes it means you're more on your knees than you are, okay? There have been, more, there have been periods in my time where it felt like all I did was take a step and fall to my knees, take a step, fall to my knees, you know? You ever, anybody ever feel like that? If you fall into that category, if you've truly surrendered to Christ, I don't believe you have to worry about this sin. I don't even think if you have truly surrendered, based on what I understand in Scripture, if you have truly surrendered and received the gift of the Holy Spirit, if you are walking as a follower of Jesus Christ, I don't believe in that. You have the ability to commit blasphemy that Jesus is speaking about here. Because you see, the Holy Spirit who is within you is far greater is far more powerful than anything the enemy tries to creep in do you believe that and if the holy spirit is truly living in your life if you are truly surrendered to the spirit the holy spirit is not going to allow you to cross that line all right so in other words, what I'm saying right now is if you're sitting here and you're worried about committing this sin, 
you're probably in pretty good shape because you're under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, which means the Holy Spirit is living in your life. Now, I don't know if anybody has ever told you that before, and I'm willing to have debate over this discussion. I'm willing to have conversation over this, all right? And, and I'm willing to say I'm not 100% sure I'm right, but I'm not 100% sure I'm wrong. And if I get it 70% of the time, I'm pretty good, okay? But if you are walking in Christ, if you are attempting to be a follower of Jesus Christ, if you are surrendered to him and your life is a reflection of him, even if it's a distorted reflection at times because we are human and we are not Christ. I don't think you have much worry about this. However, on the other hand, for anyone who has not confessed Jesus as Lord and Savior, beware. That's what Jesus is saying here. Beware. Don't be quick to dismiss or denounce him. Be careful of persistently speaking against him. I mean, no one knows the heart of another, and to be honest, no one really knows when anyone has committed the unpardonable sin. You really, nobody really knows, but Jesus is warning. What he's telling us is that it's real, all right? And if it's a warning that everyone, if he's warning everyone who has yet to acknowledge Christ as Lord and Savior as a son, then you need to heed that warning, all right? So this message today, if you are sitting here today and you are not a follower of Jesus Christ, if you have not surrendered your life to him, you got to be careful. According to Jesus, what we do with him is in reality what we do with the Holy Spirit of God. Because we believe the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We believe in a Trinitarian theology, right? We can be as religious. And here's what I'm trying to tell you. We can be as religious as we like, as moral as we think of ourselves. You can be a good person. You can do good things. But how you regard Jesus ultimately reveals what is truly in your heart. I've heard so many people over my life say, well, you know, if I'm just a good person, if I'm just a good person, I'll get to heaven. If I'm, if I, you know, if I just do more good than bad, I'll be all right. I'm sorry. I can't stand up here and tell you today that just being a good person is going to get you into heaven. You must profess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You must proclaim him as your king. You must surrender your life. I must give my life completely to him and allow him to take control. When that happens, when you are surrendered, then you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And through your walk, you, if you walk with Him, will grow closer to Him in that walk. That doesn't mean you're not going to trip up and fall down. It doesn't mean that you aren't going to make mistakes. You're not going to mess up doesn't mean that there are going to be only good days. doesn't mean that all of a sudden everything's going to go your way. But what it means is that you don't walk alone. You walk with him. See, according to Jesus, what we do with him is in reality what we do with the Holy Spirit. Now, as I'm reading this passage of Scripture and I'm studying this this week, one of the things that came to me and one of the things that became so apparent to me is the fact that this warning that we find in this passage of Scripture, dude, it is a... Did I say dude? I did. Dude. <laughs> Dudes and dudettes. Um, this is especially 
a heavy warning for anyone in ministry, for religious authorities, for pastors. You see, what this reminds me of and what this is challenging me of is the fact that I need to beware of ever using my influence to speak falsely of my Redeemer's love. You see, there are many preachers using their pulpits to teach those who are seeking the truth not to believe what Jesus has said about himself. You see, we talk about the gospel here at Lifebrook Church, and we talk about what the gospel means. And as much as I talk to you about the kingdom gospel, there is a reality that there are a lot of false gospels that are being proclaimed from the pulpits of churches across America right now. There are gospels that are claiming salvation only, that are saying just as long as you come down and pray the sinner's prayer, you're good. And don't get me wrong, I believe you have to say the sinner's prayer. I need, you need to repent and believe, but there is more to being a follower of Jesus Christ than just repenting and believe. You actually have to follow Christ. There are gospels that are being preached across America today that I would call prosperity gospels. If you'll just give this much, then God will bless you, all right? I would love to be able to put a pot up here in the middle of the church and tell you if you put $100 in this pot today, you'll get $1,000 tomorrow. There ain't nothing in the scripture that says that's true. What God tells us is that he will take care of us. He will provide for us what we need if we trust in him. There are pastors across America today that are driving, that are flying in jet planes and doing all kinds of stuff because they preach the gospel that says, sow into me and God will bless you. That's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are gospels that are being preached across America today that say, you know what, just it doesn't really matter. Love wins. You know, it doesn't matter what you do or what you don't do. You just, you know, if, if, if you love Jesus, he loves you. And, you know, just, just sing Kumbaya together and it'll all be great. Any of you guys know what Kumbaya, you remember that song? I felt a little weird standing in the way I stood there. That, you know, can you delete that from the video? <laughs> there are those that are preaching a gospel that says... You've got to believe the way I believe, and the way I believe is the only right way to believe, and if you don't believe the way I believe, you're going to hell. That's not, that's not the kingdom gospel. That's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, what, what we have to understand here, and what I believe as pastors that I have to believe and understand, is that someday the words that I proclaim, someday the truth that I present, or the lack of truth that I present from this platform, someday I'm going to stand responsible for what I proclaim to you. I'm going to be held accountable. Jesus is not a mere interesting religious topic. He has come as the Messiah to save people from the guilt of their sins and to give them eternal life and to portray him as something else other than that has eternal consequences. You see, Jesus should be peculiar, yes, to this world and even to us. But our response should be to examine our presuppositions, not to try to change or discount him. You see, the things Jesus does, they are surprising at times. A lot of what he says is shocking. I'm not going to stand up here and tell you it's not. I mean, the claims he makes about himself, the ethics that he teaches, the very images and illustrations he uses and so on, if we are comfortable with all of what he says, it most likely means we've misunderstood him. All right? Jesus steps on my toes all the time. I don't know about you, 
Not everything that I read in Scripture, not everything that Jesus says, do I go, oh, I'm so glad you said that. I'm just, you know, I just want to do that. There are things in my life, there are things that Jesus speaks to me, and I'm like, oh, no. 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 Come on. You you have those moments? You read the Scripture, and there's something, and you're like, oh, man. Wish I'd never read that. You know? It's not easy being a follower of Jesus Christ. Jesus, in some ways, shouldn't make sense to this world. I mean, how can he? He preached repentance. Repent from what? I'm going to just do the best I can. How can God be judgmental? God's not judgmental. He's righteous. And he holds us to that righteousness. Jesus preached the kingdom of God is near. What kingdom? I don't see it. Any of you, any of you see the kingdom of God? Do you see? I mean, did, did anybody, anybody, when you got saved and you came as a father, there was like a neon sign that went, kingdom of God. I didn't see it, but I know it's real. Jesus claimed to be the Son of God, not in the sense of, you know, we're all children of God, nor in a New Age sense that we all become divine. He meant, in the Jewish way of thinking, that he was separated from mankind as sharing in the very divine nature of God. He meant he was God, not a God, God. This is objectionable to the world. The average non-believer says, yeah, right. Jesus claimed that he had come to ransom us from our sins through his own death. In the eyes of the world, that's crazy. The whole thing is ridiculous, which leaves the world with two options. Dismiss Jesus or change him. Folks, the world we live in, they either want to dismiss Jesus or they want to turn him into something that they can accept. Either reject him as a madman, as an evil man, the very claims that we see in our text, or reject what we read and turn him into what we can accept. A good man who came to show us how to love, and that's all. You see, these other messy things attributed to him, well, they must have just been made up by the church or the gospel writers. You know, Da Vinci Code type stuff. As Christ followers, we are not immune to that same problem. We acknowledge Jesus' claim about him, but we are still quite capable, if we're not careful, of ignoring his commands on how we are to live. It is not a coincidence that we interpret many of Jesus' teachings in ways that allow us to be comfortable. I see it in the church all the time. We turn things that he says into something that's comfortable for us. Being a follower of Jesus Christ is not always comfortable. Turn the other cheek, deny yourself, love your neighbor as yourself. How fully we have explored what Jesus really means for us. Have we really gotten that down? You see, we've got to be careful ourselves that we don't make Jesus comfortable. You see, our fault will not be to accuse him of being crazy or a demon. We won't make that mistake. But if we're not careful, it's easy for us to tame him so that he suits us better. You see, folks, I'm telling you right now, the gospel of Jesus Christ is powerful and it's challenging and i'm going to tell you right now today as you stand before me what time is i got oh i got at least another hour anyway uh, that was a joke okay being a follower of jesus christ is work it's uncomfortable it's going to pull you in ways that you don't want to be pulled 
It's going to cost you things that you don't want to give up. And if you're just trying to just coast into heaven, if you're just trying to just kind of slip in, just don't even mess with it. Jesus says, and John wrote in the Gospel of Revelations, he said, you're either hot or you're cold. If you're lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out. It's time for us, as followers of Jesus Christ, to stop trying to be lukewarm Christians. It's time for us to fully understand what it means to be disciples of Jesus Christ. You know, when you read through the Scripture, the disciples, later on through the ministry, the Apostle Paul, They were treated like they were nuts because of what they proclaimed. Listen, the world is going to think we are crazy at times. But in the span of eternity, this short period of time that we live on this planet is just a speck. Are we going to devote ourselves to Jesus Christ as Lord or not? Let me close with a paraphrase of Jesus' words to his disciples the night before he was betrayed in John chapter 15. And I'm going to ask the band to start coming up and getting ready. In verse 18 of John chapter 15, it says, If the world misunderstands you, Keep in mind that it misunderstood me first. If you belong to the world, it would accept you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world misunderstands you. Remember the words I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they misunderstood me, they will misunderstood you also. If they obeyed my teachings, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name. For they do not know the one who sent me. Listen, folks. Don't be, a shock, don't be shocked. Don't be offended when the world rejects you. But instead, pray that you may faithfully show forth the light of Jesus Christ whether you are regarded as a fool or worse you see Jesus Christ has experienced the same type of rejection we need to know today that whatever we share with him in him it is out of that that we will experience true honor and true joy do you believe that this morning as we stand this morning I want to let you know that the altars are open if you are a follower of Jesus Christ today and you're struggling I want to remind you that you don't have to struggle alone. It can be laid at his feet. There are brothers and sisters who want to walk along with you. You guys can start playing behind me. Or not.
You have a father who loves you so much. And there is nothing, nothing too great. There is no struggle too large that he can't see you through. I don't care if it's in the home, if it's at work, if it's with your children or your neighbor, if it's within the body of Christ. He is there to help you. If you are here today, though, and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, if you have not surrendered, I'm going to tell you two things. Number one, it's the easiest thing in the world to surrender. All you got to do is come down here, say a prayer, ask him into your heart, lay it at his feet, repent and believe, and he will forgive but it's also the most challenging thing you'll ever do also because being a follower of Jesus Christ is not always easy and the world will come against you but what I can tell you is that you have victory the battle's been won he wins question is whether you want to be on the winning side or not you can come down here today and somebody will pray with you and then we'll walk right alongside you whatever God is speaking to you today surrender stop gripping the back of the chair stop looking at your watch Stop thinking about lunch. Stop wishing I'd shut up. And just follow his lead. Heavenly Father, this morning I thank you so much. That you forgave me. Lord, I know that I don't deserve it. I know I have not done enough to earn it and never will but I'm going to do the best I can I'm going to try as hard as I can I'm going to surrender as much as you will allow me to surrender and I'm going to strive each day to be the man that you created me to be and Lord my prayer is for that same thing to happen in each person's life in here today give us the strength I pray this in your precious name Amen <laughs>